episode 29, how to increase your capacity to love your spouse, especially after they've hurt you. This is the Expat Mom Podcast, a podcast for expat moms around the world who want to feel better and improve their emotional health as they navigate the unique challenges of living and mothering abroad. I'm your host, Jenny Linton. I'm a certified life coach, a mom to four daughters, and married to a U.S. diplomat. I've lived in six countries on four continents. I know what it's like to feel stuck emotionally, and I know how to get unstuck. I'm excited to share with you some tools to help you feel less discouraged, improve your relationships, and increase your confidence. Welcome back to the podcast. To those of you who are new, welcome. And to those of you who listen every week, thanks for listening and welcome back. Right now in China, it is wintertime. I know since we have listeners all over the world that for some of you, it's probably summer right now. And for others of you, it may be winter, but it may actually be warm. But in Shanghai, where I live, we actually have a legitimate winter where it's cold. Most of the trees have lost their leaves. It is um, often kind of muggy or cold. There's a lot of pollution. And if I'm honest with myself, winter is not my favorite season. And I count the days until spring. I love spring with blossoms and warmer weather and the birds return. And it feels like the world just kind of softens a little bit as the color returns to the trees and to the grass. And I am so excited for spring to come. Just like we have different seasons in our weather, our marriages have different seasons too. Gary Chapman wrote a book entitled The Four Seasons of Marriage, where he lays out what each of these different seasons look like. Gary Chapman is actually the same author who wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, in case you're familiar with that. And in the book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, um, Chapman suggests that many marriages experience all of the seasons and often suggests that these seasons in marriage repeat themselves many times. So for example, in marriage, springtime looks like hope of new possibilities. We're optimistic and we're excited about our relationship. This is often the season that we start out in when we're dating and engaged. And even after we've come through a difficult time together, we may come again into spring where we feel renewed hope and excitement about our relationship. One of the drawbacks of this season of marriage is that it can sometimes be easy to ignore issues during this time because we're kind of blinded by love and excitement and we kind of glaze over problems or issues rather than addressing them. In the summer season of marriage, it things are actually easy and they're stable and generally it's characterized by gratitude and comfort and happiness. We enjoy our spouse, we appreciate each other. And it's generally a really comfortable, pleasant time, just like we tend to think of summer where it's relaxed, it's nice weather, it's comfortable. And then as difficult life experiences such as moves or job loss, long work hours, babies, struggling children, parenting differences, physical and mental illness, and many other factors begin to cause strain on our marriage. In addition, sometimes we just develop patterns between us that can cause disconnection and create issues. Sometimes spouses make life choices that are create a lot of problems for their spouse. Maybe one spouse is particularly critical, or there can even be large betrayals like infidelity. These kinds of issues can move a marriage into fall. In fall, 
We know that the marriage is troubled. We're aware that something's not right. Just as in fall, we see the leaves changing color. We see some of them falling off. There's this sense of change, and we recognize that maybe a harder time is coming. This is how fall is. There's more hesitancy, more doubt, concern, frustration in the relationship. And the more these issues grow and remain unresolved, we begin to develop more bitterness and hurt and resentment in our marriage, which then moves us into winter. In winter, our marriage relationship is characterized by coldness and often unkindness. There's often a lot of fear of the future, and we often wonder how things will be resolved, sort of like when winter comes and everything feels bleak and cold, and we kind of want to hole up in our homes and in our warm sweaters, right? That's how it often feels in marriage. We kind of withdraw from our spouse, and we have a much harder time seeing the good in our spouse sometimes even seeing the good in ourselves, just like trees kind of go to this dormant state. That's often how it is in being able to see the good in our spouse. Sometimes seasons of marriage can last years and other times they can just be a moment. But I really like this concept of thinking of ebbs and flows of marriage as seasons because intrinsic in this analogy is the idea that seasons are temporary, they're cyclical, and all seasons are important. The same is true of the different experiences that we have in marriage. Although fall and winter are less enjoyable, they can actually serve as an important purpose in helping us address difficult things and help us choose more deliberately what we want and how we want to act. It's actually in fall and winter that we grow and stretch the most in our relationships. Now, we definitely don't want to get stuck in those seasons longer than necessary, because spending too long in those seasons can be exhausting and depleting for our relationship. But it's helpful to realize that there's nothing wrong with being in fall and winter sometimes. Studies show that most married people consider divorce at some point. However, the same study also showed that five years later, many of the couples who considered divorce did not divorce, and it showed that they were happy. In other words, it's common to have ebb and flow in your marriage, and at times it may be more challenging to choose to love your spouse. And it's good to know that it's also possible and common to overcome these type of obstacles. Today, we're going to talk about some tools that can help us move through fall and winter and use those times to really deepen our connection with each other instead of getting stuck and allowing those seasons to deplete our relationships. So before we start, I want to let you know about a free resource that I have. I have decided to create something for busy moms who often don't have a lot of time, but they want to have robust emotional health and they want to improve their relationship. I've created something I call one minute wisdom. It's a short email that arrives directly to your inbox and it can be read in just one minute. And in it, I often share personal stories or one little tool or tip or thought or mindset shift that can make a difference in your life. And you can start applying it right then. Let me tell you about an experience one expat mom shared about one minute wisdom. She was waiting in a dentist's office to get a root canal, and she was thinking about how much she did not want to get it. Then she remembered something she had read in one minute wisdom about how to shift your mind when you don't want to do something. It had discussed reminding yourself that we never have to do anything. In this case, she didn't have to get a root canal. However, when she was faced with the idea of not getting it, she realized she actually did want to get it rather than go through the painful process of her tooth root dying. As she sat there, she still felt some angst about the root canal, 
but she was able to get out of feeling irritated that she had to get it because she realized that actually she did want to get it. You can sign up for one minute wisdom in the show notes. It's totally free and it's delivered directly to your inbox once a week. So let's jump into our topic today of the seasons of marriage. What keeps us from moving through fall and winter and back to spring and summer? In my practice, I have coached women on a variety of issues and in a variety of seasons in their marriage. Often the reason women come for coaching is because they are struggling in fall or winter in their marriage. I've coached women through a variety of issues, such as criticism and disrespect to disagreements about whether or not the spouse should work to frustration over wanting or not wanting to live abroad to financial disagreements, irritation with spouses, long work hours, differences in sexual desire, frustration over cleanliness of the house to infidelity and many more. Often the women who want coaching on these issues, they want to love their husbands, but they feel disconnected. They feel stuck in fall and winter. They want to know how to feel more connection and love in their marriages but they often feel like they don't know how. While each issue and each couple is different and they vary in their solutions, there are two thought errors I notice that are quite common. These thought errors make it challenging for women to move through fall and winter and spring again with their spouses. I notice that these thought errors often occur when my client has been hurt by their spouse. Perhaps it's something as small as feeling undervalued or ignored, or maybe it's as large as infidelity or maybe it's somewhere in between. I want to share these two thought errors with you and teach you how to overcome them so that when you find yourself in fall or winter in your marriage, you can recognize these blind spots that may be keeping you stuck. Thought error number one is that loving my spouse when they are doing or have done bad things reinforces future bad behavior. When our spouse is doing something unkind or inappropriate Often our first response is to withdraw. It is really hard to love someone whose behavior is hard to love. Our brains tend to think that if we withhold love and kindness, it will make our displeasure so clear that the other person will eventually change. We think we need to stake our position by punishing the other person by withholding our love. This is a very normal response. It's a protective response, especially when we've been hurt Our brain wants to look for ways to keep us safe. However, just because it's our natural response does not mean it's a useful response. Hating people or punishing people into change actually doesn't work. It doesn't work for ourselves and it doesn't work for our spouse, at least not in the long term. Hating and punishing causes both parties to put up defenses and dig into their positions. It rarely brings about change. Recently, I took a parenting class and I loved this statement that I read by Jane Nelson, who is a parenting expert. She said, connection leads to self-correction. In the parenting class, they were referring to children and how to discipline and how often connecting first encourages children to correct themselves. And I believe that this principle also holds true for us with our spouses, Rather than feeling that we need to punish them or somehow correct them before we can love them, I love this idea that connecting actually leads to self-correction. Ironically, it is often as we start to feel loved as we are, even in our poor behavior, that we decide we want to change. Here's a simple example of this principle at work. One Sunday afternoon, everybody was stir-crazy and irritable at our house. 
The kids were fighting, the house was a mess, and I was tired from the week. I found myself snapping at everyone and going around calling out orders. Pick that thing up. Everybody be quiet. Including, I was being kind of snappy to my husband. My husband would have had every right to snap back at me or even call me on my poor behavior. But instead, he came up to me and hugged me. That's it. Then he said, you seem like you're pretty stressed. I felt so connected to him in that moment. I felt loved even in my yuckiness. Because I felt so connected, I immediately wanted to apologize. I felt terrible for being grumpy. And I did apologize to him and to my kids. It's so ironic because the minute that I felt connected and loved, the last thing I wanted to do was keep doing poor behavior that was hurting people. Unconditional love is so powerful. Connection leads to self-correction. We may fear that if we soften our hearts or act in a loving, kind way, our spouse will think that we are fine with their behavior. We might worry that things will get worse, but ironically, the opposite is true. When we start feeling love for who we are, we do not want to keep hurting others. Now, I'm not referring to addictive personalities or narcissists. That's a different scenario. They often do not have this same response. I am referring to people with relatively healthy brains. But I want to let you know that with most couples, I have seen this kind of pattern happen over and over again. Let me give you an example of a couple who was dealing with a more significant challenge. One client I worked with was struggling to love her husband because her husband had had an emotional affair. She was understandably deeply hurt. His betrayal had created a lot of pain and contention and mistrust in their marriage. And I want to be clear, there was a lot of necessary and important emotions to process. It was important to rework patterns and dynamics between the partners. And it was important to get her back to a place where she felt safe. But after lots of that work, my client decided she wanted to feel more love towards her spouse. She wanted to act more loving toward him. She was having a really hard time doing that. She worried that if she showed love to him, that he would think she was fine with his actions. She felt like he might not recognize the significant impact of his actions on her and all the pain that he had caused her. In fact, she worried that maybe it would even encourage him to do more of the behavior of interacting with this other woman because he would think that he could do whatever he wanted and she would still be happy and love him. At this point, he had significantly pulled back in his relationship with the other woman. However, it felt uncertain to my client how her husband might act in the future. One of the things I asked my client was if holding back loving her her own husband and punishing him through a variety of behaviors she was doing was helping him change. She thought about it, and she admitted that as much as her brain thought it would, actually holding back loving her husband caused her to feel a lot more disconnected from her husband. And she recognized that she wasn't getting to enjoy the close relationship she wanted, which was the whole reason she didn't want him to have an affair in the first place. She wanted to have a deep, loving relationship. In addition, while she is, of course, never responsible for his behavior, he admitted that the more she withdrew from him and punished him, the harder it was for him not to reach out to the other woman. The more love and connection he felt to his wife, the less likely he was to reach out to the other woman. She, of course, does not need to own his behavior. That's on him but it is helpful to observe how her husband responds in both cases. As we discussed this, we talked about how connection often comes before correction, not the other way around. She wanted her husband to 100% be faithful to her emotionally 
before she felt comfortable loving him. As we looked at some of these ideas, it gave her more courage to soften her heart and feel more loving toward him. In addition, she found that stating her motives directly helped her feel better about it too. She let him know that she didn't want him to interact with this other woman. She was clear about this. She told him that she wanted to be loving and close to him, but she didn't want him to mistake her kindness and closeness for her approval of his poor behavior. As she verbalized this, it helped her feel that she was not somehow enabling the behavior. Interestingly, the more she loved him and softened to her husband, the less he interacted with the other woman, the more he wanted to be with her and the more he wanted to change. Things are not perfect with this couple, but they have improved significantly. A lot of the change began with the wife's willingness to love first and let correction follow. So to summarize, although the brain tells us that loving someone will just condone or encourage more bad behavior, the opposite is often true. Connection comes before correction. The second thought error that spouses often have when they have been hurt is that their spouse doesn't deserve love. The idea of deserving love is a common one, and it's an interesting one. It's interesting to stop and ask ourselves, do people have to earn our love? When we think about having a new baby, we love that little newborn, and they have done nothing to deserve it. In fact, what they've done is create a ton of work and discomfort for their parents. But we love them anyway. We can't help it, right? For some reason, in a spousal relationship, we have this underlying belief that our spouse should meet certain criteria in order to be worthy of our love. Unfortunately, this underlying belief can become so toxic in our marriages. It can make both partners feel like they're on a hamster wheel, trying to constantly keep the requirements for their spouse's love and approval. When ironically, what we seek in marriage is often this wonderful, committed, unconditional type of love experience. In marriage, it's so important to protect ourselves and have boundaries. We need to know when we're legitimately unsafe or when we don't want to stay. But if we haven't reached that threshold and we choose to stay, then questioning this idea of deserving love can be really helpful. In being able to move through fall and winter and get out of that paralysis. One of the things I find helps clients shift their perspective about deserving love is redefining the idea of lovability. This is one of the ideas that I learned from my men- one of my mentors, Brooke Castillo. She explains that love ability is not an adjective that describes someone based on what they do or what they don't do. Love ability is two words. It's a noun, love and ability. Each of us, she says, is already 100% lovable. But how lovable someone feels to us depends on our ability to love them. I love this idea because it places our potential for love back in our own court. It means that if we don't feel our spouse is very lovable, we can increase our ability to love them. And we can then feel more love towards them, even if they don't change. If we go back to the example of the Sunday afternoon when I was grumpy, in my moment of grumpiness, it would have been really easy for my husband to think that I wasn't very lovable. To be honest, it would have been justified thinking that I didn't really deserve love in that moment. But because he had a large capacity to love, he was able to love me even in my imperfectness. One of the questions I think is interesting to ask clients is who benefits when you love your spouse? We often talk about love as something we give. 
We talk about the other person as the recipient of our love, but are they? Sometimes. Sometimes our spouse does feel appreciation or validation or acceptance when we love them, but not always. What they feel through our words and actions depends on how they interpret it. Our spouse might think of something loving as needy or irritating. They could think that we're just buttering them up to get something we want. It only feels loving to them when we do something loving if they think about it in a way that feels loving. A second question I like to ask my clients is, do you benefit from loving your spouse? If my husband had chosen to be bothered by my behavior, how might he have felt? He probably would have felt irritated, angry, and mad. But because he chose to love, he got to feel love and connection and even compassion. Those emotions feel so much better. I love the idea that actually we are the primary beneficiaries of loving our spouse. They may benefit, and hopefully they do, but actually we always benefit from it. Sometimes when we are stuck feeling that our spouse doesn't deserve our love, recognizing that unconditional love isn't just for them, it's also for us, can help us be more willing to increase our capacity for love. This was an important shift for my client, whose husband had had an emotional affair. She realized that while it was a justified feeling that she didn't want to love him until he'd completely stopped his behavior, she realized that holding back love for her husband was not only hurting him, it was hurting her. Recognizing this helped her feel a bit more open to the idea of loving him, even when she was tempted to withhold the love because she felt like he didn't deserve it. Interestingly, as she increased her capacity to love him in his inadequacy, it became a bit easier for her to love herself and feel more lovable. The experience of her husband having an emotional affair had understandably caused her to question her own lovability. She wondered if she was pretty enough, smart enough, or interesting enough. Why did he feel the need to connect with this other woman in this way? These are all very normal and natural questions for people to ask when they've been betrayed. But as she recognized that her lovability was less about the person being loved and more about the person who was loving, she slowly began to accept that maybe her husband's emotional affair was not about her. Maybe it was about him. It was not because she wasn't lovable. It was his compromised ability to love her that was the issue. She was still 100% lovable. That's the amazing thing about love. Love is the most powerful emotion that we can choose to feel. It heals, it connects, it causes things to grow. Difficult times in our marriage, the winters and falls are important. They cause us to really have to grow our capacity to love. We have to learn to love ourselves and our spouse in new ways. These times in our marriage force us to get deliberate about who we want to be, and they help us grow. They definitely are not pleasant or comfortable times in our relationship, but they can be important and even sacred times if we use them to increase our capacity to love. The choice to love, even when it's hard, is what allows us to move out of fall and winter and into spring and summer in our marriages. So let's take a minute and recap. We've talked about two common thought errors that contribute to keeping us stuck in fall and winter in our marriages. We've also talked about how to move through these seasons. The first error is insisting that loving our spouse condones or encourages bad behavior in our spouse. Instead, we talked about recognizing that connection leads to correction, not the other way around, can give us more courage to love even if our spouse 
hasn't stopped their bad behavior. Rather than assuming that you can't feel connected unless your spouse changes, we can recognize that actually withholding love makes it less likely for our spouse to change. Love creates an environment where they're more likely to change. We can still make requests of our spouse and make our expectations clear. And we can love them and be kind and feel close to them. The two can go together. Thought error number two is assuming that our spouse doesn't deserve our love. We talked about redefining lovability as the ability to love rather than as something that someone earns based on what they do. Rather than feeling like we have to change the other person in order to love them, we can recognize that we can increase our capacity to love. And rather than feeling like we have to be more or do more to be loved, we can recognize that if we aren't loved, it may be more about the other person's ability to love than our lack of lovability. Rather than thinking about love as something we have to give to someone else, we can recognize that loving someone else benefits us as much or more as it benefits the other person. When we withhold love from our spouse, we're actually depriving ourselves of love. This can help us move past the ideas about whether our spouse deserves to be loved by us. Before we end, we're going to go to our expat exit strategy. For those of you who are new here, this is an opportunity to apply the things that you've learned in the podcast to your own life. It's a chance to exit or get out of the problem we're addressing and move forward to a better space. In this case, we're talking about how to get out of that stuck feeling in the fall and winter seasons of our marriage and how to increase our capacity to love so we can move through these seasons in our marriage to spring and summer where we can enjoy and relish our marriage. First of all, think about something your spouse has done that makes them feel harder to love. Maybe it's something they've done to hurt you, or maybe it's something they do that just drives you crazy. Maybe it's something you've asked them to do a million times and they refuse. Now I want you to get out a piece of paper and answer a couple of questions. And if you don't have paper nearby, you can even do it on the note section of your phone, but it's important to write it down. That's when the brain actually has to engage and answer. Ask yourself, what are you making it mean when your spouse does this or doesn't do this thing? Is it possible that this is actually about them and not about you? If the answer is yes, write down some evidences you have that this might be true. Question number two, if you were to love your spouse before they changed, what kind of impact might it have on them? And what kind of impact might it have on you? And if you'd like more help in your marriage, whether it's in increasing your capacity to love your spouse during a difficult time, or whether it's working through a difficult issue or anything else, sign up for a free 30 minute mini coaching session with me. We can help identify what's going on and why I'll offer you some ideas for blind spots that might be keeping you stuck. I look forward to meeting you. I'll talk to you next week. If you like what you're learning on this podcast, please share this episode with a friend. I wish that I had had these tools a lot earlier in my life, and I would love to pass them along to more people who can benefit. I also appreciate when you leave reviews for the podcast. I read each one and reading them helps me get to know my listeners better. It helps me understand what you find useful and it helps the podcast grow. You can find more free resources to improve your relationships and your emotional health on my website at theexpatmom.com and on my Instagram page at theexpatmomcoach.